The disappearance of Michelle Harris on September 11th, 2001, turned into a real-life Law & Order episode. The focus quickly centered on the murder trial that would take place, actually murder trials, as there would be more than one. However, Michelle Harris is still missing. The public seems divided. Is Michelle alive? Or was she indeed murdered? The only thing we know for sure is that her whereabouts, alive or deceased, have remained a mystery. This episode of Where Are They? features the unsolved disappearance of 35-year-old wife and mother, Michelle Harris. podcast. A quick reminder to make sure you are following us on social media under the Where Are They podcast. We have some updates on some of the cases we've covered so far that we will be sharing. Today's episode, we are going to talk about the unsolved disappearance of 35-year-old Michelle Harris from Owego, New York. Michelle's disappearance would unfortunately coincide with the terrible tragedy of 9-11, as she was last seen on the night of September 11, 2001. So let's start with Michelle herself and who she was. Michelle Taylor was born September 29, 1965. Friends would describe her as funny, bubbly, and likable, she was said to be witty and have a ton of personality. Michelle grew into a very attractive young woman and got a job working at a local car dealership. The dealership, one of several owned by the Harris family, was where Michelle would meet Calvin Harris. Calvin, who generally goes by Cal, was immediately smitten by Michelle. He said she was strikingly beautiful and he was attracted to her right away. Cal who was divorced, asked Michelle out, and they soon began dating. Cal's friends and family liked Michelle right away, thinking she was perfect for him. She had an engaging personality. Many thought she was just what Cal needed after his divorce. In 1990, Michelle and Cal would marry. This would be Michelle's first marriage and Cal's second. They had a large, beautiful ceremony at Cal's family estate, which consisted of 252 acres with a large lake. It was the perfect setting and the perfect backdrop for a wedding. Michelle and Cal would go on to have four kids together. The kids came right after each other, which caused some strain on the marriage. Four kids under the age of five at one time is a lot of work, no doubt. So the family hired a nanny, Barb Thayer who helped to care for the children. Barb has said that Michelle was a doting and loving mother. She would often leave the house a mess and get on the floor and just play with the kids. Or Barb would come in in the morning and there would be a sink full of dishes and Michelle would be at the kitchen table painting the girls' fingernails. 
She was all about her kids and being a mother. Barb also said in the beginning, she thought Michelle and Cal were a loving couple. In fact, many people commented that they were, in fact, the perfect couple. But this story will just go to show you, you don't really know what is always going on behind closed doors and in people's personal lives. After a few years of a struggling marriage and Michelle and Cal fighting and arguing a lot, Michelle filed for divorce in January of 2001. She had learned that Cal had cheated on her and she told her friends she was just done. In fact, Cal had admitted to the affair, but he also claimed that Michelle had cheated on him also. A lot of people had also come forward and said that Cal didn't really want the divorce and he was angry that Michelle had filed. And I'm sure a lot of that had to do with money. Cal was from a very prominent family in the area and he was part of the family business, which owned several car dealerships. He was allegedly worth millions and from everything I've seen, the couple didn't have a prenup. So financially, I'm sure he was very concerned, as was his family, about how that would kind of play out with the businesses and the money during a divorce. Michelle's attorney had also allegedly told her that she should not move out of the family house, as that would be considered abandonment and could affect her negatively in the divorce and with regards to getting custody of the children. So Michelle and Cal continued to live in the home together, Cal sleeping in the bedroom and Michelle apparently sleeping on the couch. Cal said they tried to keep normal day-to-day -day activities for the sake of the children, but Michelle and Cal would continue to have their share of fights in the home. Shortly after she filed for divorce, she actually took the guns that Cal owned out of the home and gave them to her brother to hold on to. Cal admits freely that this happened because Michelle was upset and Cal would often get very angry during their fights. Cal said he was never a violent person and he would never do anything to Michelle. But he does acknowledge that Michelle felt better removing those guns from the home. Now, Michelle's sister would disagree with Cal's statement. She said at one point Michelle had confided to her that Cal had threatened her and actually had said, I can make you disappear and they will never find you. Definitely damning words in a missing persons case, but Cal denies that he ever said that. He claims that either Michelle had lied to her sister or Michelle's sister is actually making that up to make Cal look bad. So as the divorce progresses, the two come close to an agreement. Michelle would get an $800,000 settlement or $80,000 a year, and Cal would continue paying off some of the marital debt and bills. Michelle starts dating and tries to move on with her life. In an effort to get out of the home and make friends, she gets a waitressing job at a local bar restaurant called Lefty's. And according to some people, she starts hanging out with an interesting crowd, a crowd that frequents the bars at night. Cal had claimed that she started drinking excessively. He even accused her of doing cocaine, although nobody has come forward to confirm that that is true. 
The manager at Lefty's had said Michelle was an ideal worker, always showed up, always in a good mood. The customers loved her. There was no sign anyone else had that she was doing any kind of illegal drugs. However, Michelle would start hanging out with this crowd and they would go out and frequent some bars after work and just try to kick back and have a good time. In doing this, she also starts dating, apparently starts dating more than one man. And Michelle goes to work on September 11th, 2001 for her regular shift at Lefty's. When her shift is over, she stays to have drinks with some friends and they discuss the tragic events of the day. Michelle had told friends that she had been planning to go to New York City on September 13th and 14th to pawn her Rolex watch and her engagement ring. Some have claimed that Michelle was having money troubles, but others don't understand that as she was just about to finalize her divorce settlement and Cal had been paying the bills. So if she did need the money, it really hasn't come to light as to why. Michelle stays and hangs out at the bar for a little bit with one of her boyfriends, Michael Casper. After a while, she leaves and heads over to the apartment of her second boyfriend, Brian Early. Apparently, her relationship with Casper was a secret. Not even her friends knew that they were dating. Brian Early has stated that he and Michelle were in love and he was actually hoping to marry her after her divorce was final. Everyone had known that she was seeing Brian Early, including Cal and her closest friends, but no one had any idea about Michael Casper. So I'm not sure if that was a serious relationship or kind of what the status was or what Michelle's mindset was with those two relationships. And unfortunately, with her not being here, we may never really know. So the next morning, September 12th, Cal wakes up and he finds that Michelle isn't there. Four kids to get ready for school is a huge undertaking and was definitely a huge undertaking for Cal, who wasn't used to that. So he called their nanny, Barb Thayer, and told her Michelle never came home last night. He asked if she could possibly come over and help get the kids off to school for the day. Barb quickly agreed and in later interviews, she would tell police that nothing like that had ever happened before, and she was immediately concerned for Michelle and Michelle's welfare. And her concern really escalated that day when she neared the family estate and saw Michelle's gold minivan parked just outside the driveway gates off the road. They had a large home that sat way back off on the property, so it was a long driveway, and at the very end of the driveway, off to the side, sat Michelle's minivan. But Michelle was nowhere around. So when Barb gets up to the house, she tells Cal that she saw Michelle's van down by the road. And he actually didn't seem that worried at all. In fact, he even asked Barb if she would take the van that day and have it washed and detailed and then bring it back up to the house afterwards, parking it by the garage. That same day, September 12th, Michelle had an appointment with her divorce attorney, Robert Miller. When she didn't show up, he became gravely concerned, and he actually got a few phone calls from some friends of Michelle's that were also really worried. 
So it was actually attorney Robert Miller who called the police to report Michelle missing. He had known some of Michelle's worries before about Cal and her relationship with Cal and and how the divorce was proceeding. And he knew that Michelle had some concerns. Meanwhile, Cal wasn't worried at all. But Michelle's friends and family were panicked. They left voicemail after voicemail on Michelle's phone, worried sick about her. Not only was it unlike Michelle to just disappear, but they knew that her children were everything to her and she would not abandon her children. The police do begin investigating right away. However, since 9-11 had just happened the day before, many of their officers were deployed to New York City to help with the World Trade Center attacks. The police department was working with a skeleton crew and doing the best they can with what they had. Right away, they start talking to some persons of interest. First, being Cal, of course. He still seemed nonchalant about his wife's disappearance, and everyone knew they were in the midst of a bitter divorce. The family also lived on a 250-acre compound, and that's a lot of land to search. On that land is a huge lake, a huge body of water. The police begin a massive manhunt in search of the property, and they do actually find some minor blood droplet in the home, in the kitchen, a couple drops on the rug, and then eventually some drops they found in the garage. And that blood spatter evidence would become controversial in this case. Was it enough to indicate foul play? Some have said yes, and other experts said no. Cal continued to tell friends he just thought Michelle went off to New York City since she was planning a trip there anyhow. But seeing as 9-11 had just happened, people weren't just going to New York City for a visit. In fact, the city was closed out. You couldn't just drive into Manhattan and start hitting up the stores or the pawn shops. They weren't letting anybody but first responders and rescue personnel into the Manhattan area. So next, they look at boyfriend Michael Casper. Michael had been with Michelle that night at the bar, and he had been with a friend, Michael Hakes. Police discovered that Hakes had a criminal history that involved violence against women. But Michael Casper's story that Michelle had left the bar of her own accord that night was indeed verified. So then they go to talk to Brian early. Brian seemed the most devastated over Michelle's disappearance, but police questioned him. Brian said Michelle had indeed come over that night, but she left his apartment just before midnight on the night of September 11th, and that was the last he had seen her. So Cal Harris ultimately becomes suspect number one. The police did not believe Michelle would run off and abandon her kids especially so close to her divorce being finalized. And enough people started coming forward to share their insight on Cal's behavior, which did not paint a very good picture of the man. At one point during the investigation, Cal even attended a family barbecue in which someone had made a comment about finding Michelle's body. Cal looked at them and said, they haven't found her body and they never will. Of course, that sounds super suspicious. But 
at face value, maybe he was just thinking she did run off on her own and there is no body to find. However, that is definitely a suspicious statement to make when your wife and mother of your children has gone missing. Months go by, and Cal continues to be the number one suspect, not only from police, but friends and family, and even the entire community as well. But no real evidence was able to be found. So now the law and order real life type of episode begins here. In 2005, without a body and without a weapon of any kind, or even evidence of a murder, Cal Harris is arrested for the murder of Michelle Harris. The community rejoices. Everybody believes that justice may finally be served for Michelle. Jury selections take a really long time in this case because everyone in the community knew the Harris family. In 2006, as trial is set to begin, the prosecutors ask the judge to step down, claiming he has shown favoritism to Cal Harris. Remember, the Harris family was a prominent and wealthy family in that area with a lot of connections. At first, the judge refuses to step down, but ultimately, he does end up recusing himself from the trial. In December of 2006, state court officials appoint a new judge from a different county to preside over this case. The trial would begin in May of 2007, and in June, Cal Harris is found guilty of second-degree murder. The day after Cal Harris is found guilty, a man named Kevin Tubbs is sitting in his pickup truck reading the newspaper. Somehow, he had apparently not heard of this case prior, and as he read the story, something clicked with him. He recalled driving down the Harris's road in the early morning hours of September 12th. And he remembers seeing a woman standing outside of a gold minivan on the side of the road with a pickup truck parked right behind her. She was having a conversation with a man, and at the time, he thought the woman had been crying. As he reads the story in the newspaper, he realized he might have seen Michelle Harris. So he picked up the phone and he called Joseph Colley, who at the time was Cal Harris's attorney. Immediately, Collie meets with Tubbs and interviews him, and he actually brings Tubbs in to testify in August 2007 at Cal Harris's sentencing hearing. And upon hearing the testimony, the judge feels that Tubbs is credible enough, and he throws out Harris's guilty verdict and orders a new trial. Cal Harris now goes free on bail. There's not too much as the specifics of Tubbs' testimony itself. I do think it's odd that as a local, he didn't know anything that had been going on over the years with this case, as apparently it had been news for a long time all over the news stations, in the newspapers, people were talking about it. So it kind of seems odd that Tubbs didn't know about it, but he might have just not been a news watcher or not someone who read the newspaper. So in July of 2009, a new trial begins. And in August of 09, Harris is found guilty a second time, 
sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. So after two trials, Harris has been found guilty both times. And again, remember, there's no body, no murder weapon, not a lot of blood evidence. It's really mostly circumstantial evidence. However, two different jury trials did find him guilty. In 2011, Harris appealed his conviction, but the appeals court upheld his conviction. In 2012, Harris appealed once more. This time, the appeals court overturns the conviction and a third trial is granted. But in the meantime, Harris again goes free on bail. 2015, after Cal Harris's third trial, a jury is unable to agree and the judge declares a mistrial. I told you all this was crazy, but that is not even the end of the Cal Harris trial saga yet. So in the next trial, Cal Harris opts for a bench trial instead of a jury trial. Judge Mott announced the defense can argue third-party culpability in an attempt to prove steelworkers Stacy Stewart and Christopher Thomason, who lived in Tioga County at the time Michelle went missing, were responsible for Michelle Harris's murder. The defense believed this would exonerate Cal Harris. A little bit more info on Stacey Stewart and Christopher Thomason will come up in a minute. And in May of 2016, after the judge deliberates for 12 hours, Cal Harris is found not guilty of the murder of Michelle Harris and, he, and to this day remains a free man. The public continues to believe Cal was responsible for Michelle's murder, although no evidence as to her whereabouts has ever come to light. Cal continues to have troubles. He lost his car dealerships after his first conviction. He had financial troubles paying for his defense team. And he had some legal troubles to boot. While he was on bail, in between two of his trials, Cal was arrested for stalking a police officer. He was caught outside the home filming this officer and apparently making threats to this man's daughter. Cal denies that that happened, and the police officer was never officially named, but was an investigator on Cal's case. In December of 2017, Cal also had his license suspended after he allegedly left the scene of a hit and run. He was pulled over shortly afterwards, and with a blood alcohol level of .013, he was charged with a DWI. Honestly, I've seen multiple interviews with Cal Harris, and he really just isn't a likable guy. And that could be working against him, especially if maybe he is innocent. He does come across very narcissistic, and he doesn't really show a lot of compassion towards Michelle or even towards their children. And thinking about what their four children have been through, you would think this man would show a little bit more emotion or compassion with the circumstances. Although, with all of the circumstantial evidence, I do believe there is a high likelihood he is responsible for Michelle's murder. But after several trials and ultimately found not guilty, 
there just isn't any real evidence to say for sure. So what happened to Michelle? The drama of this case now often focuses on Cal because of the media circus that was his trials. But let's look back to Michelle. This was a 35-year-old mother, daughter, sister. She loved her children and was just feeling like she was getting her life back. She had made new friends, began dating, and was almost at the end of her tumultuous divorce. So many people have said that Michelle was like a new woman during this time. She was happy again. She was laughing. She was smiling. She was being sociable. She was really coming into her own as she was ready to start this next journey of her life. And even though Cal looks pretty darn guilty, can we say for sure it wasn't one of the other men in her life? And was Kevin Tubbs right when he said he thought he saw her with another man? And if so, who was that man? A lot of people have thought that Kevin Tubbs was paid off. The Harris family being very wealthy, having access to do that. There's a lot of suspicion that Kevin Tubbs came forward so much later with this new evidence because he had been paid off. And just to clarify, there's absolutely no evidence of that, but that is a rumor that circulates through the town pretty rampantly. Cal Harris's family owned a 250-acre compound with a huge lake, plenty of room to hide a body. However, multiple searches over the years turned up nothing. Owego, New York, also sits on the Susquehanna River, which is a rapid-flowing large river that runs through upstate New York. So I did try and find out some information about the two steelworkers that Cal claimed had something to do with her death, but they were never charged, and there wasn't a lot of information on them specifically. However, in 2017, Adam Weitzman, the owner of Upstate Shredding and Recycling, sued an ex-employee for starting rumors that his company had shredded the body of Michelle Harris at one of their locations. He won that defamation lawsuit and he pledged to donate that $200,000 to charity. Adam Weitzman became the subject of rumors that he or his company was responsible for the murder or for disposing of her body. And he actually, of his own accord, went and took a lie detector test to try and put those rumors to rest. He passed the lie detector test with flying colors. And to this day, actively tries to maintain that he had nothing to do with anything, although his name has been shrouded with doubt because of this case. Now out of prison, Cal has hired private investigators to find Michelle's real killer. One of the clues they have recently claimed to have found was a burn pit on the property of one of Michelle's boyfriends that contained fragments of women's clothing. Apparently a bra strap and a couple of buttons were found in this burn pit. But nothing more has been said about that, and I wasn't even able to confirm whose property it was that that was found on. Cal even filed a lawsuit against Tioga County, claiming that he was harassed by law enforcement over the years, and he had multiple trials to prove that. He claims even while he was out on bail, he was under constant surveillance and had helicopters flying over his home. And with the trial proving his innocence, he claimed that Tioga County owed him 
or those years of harassment. Now, unfortunately, while Cal believes he is the victim here, I definitely believe in addition to, of course, Michelle being the actual victim, it is the children who have suffered the most. They lost their mom when they were very young, a mom who was very active in their lives. And the rest of their childhood had their dad in and out of their lives as he fought for freedom in court. The children were subject to ridicule in school. There was a couple instances with some harassment that the daughter suffered at the hands of a fellow student. Meanwhile, the children are attempting to grow up and live their life while their father is fighting for his life in court. And at one point, he even spends three consecutive years behind bars. The children have continued to support their dad and do not believe he did anything to their mom. That is not surprising in cases like these. They were very young when this happened, and this is their dad. If they were to believe that of their dad, they would ultimately lose both parents. And sadly, because of these events, they are also completely estranged from their mother's family. So what do you think happened to Michelle Harris? Do you think she ran off on her own? Do you believe she possibly fell victim to one of her boyfriends? Or maybe even a crime committed by a complete stranger? Do you think Cal Harris was the victim of a witch hunt against him? Or do you actually believe that Cal Harris did indeed murder his wife? So many unanswered questions. And I really, really do hope the truth comes out someday so there can be justice for Michelle and answers for Michelle's family. If you have any information as to the whereabouts of Michelle Harris or any info at all about this case, please call the New York State Police at 607-687-3961. We will definitely be keeping a close eye on this one. Be sure to follow us on social media for case updates and please email me at canwefindthem at gmail.com. If you have any comments, tips to pass on, or future case suggestions. Thank you all for tuning in today and listening to Michelle Harris's story. We will be back again next week. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.